Our daily lives are full of noise, distractions, the hustle and bustle of life as we know it. Too often we can barely hear our own thoughts, let alone the voice of God above the din. And yet we know we were made for more. We believe every man is called to be a leader, a disruptor of the status quo, a bringer of the kingdom to every corner of this world. And we realize that the change we desire to see in our world begins with change in us. There's something about fire that draws us. Throughout history, men have always forged strength in the fire. Even the Holy Spirit fell like fire at Pentecost, and the disciples were forever changed. So this is an invitation to escape the noise, get away to the mountains, and gather around the fire. objective is simple. Every man's stronger, spirit, soul, and body. We hope you'll join us in the Poconos this summer for the Company Men's Retreat. Hey, St. Pete, San Francisco, this is for you too. Man, we hope you'll join us this June for the Company Men's Retreat. We're going to get out of the city, get around some good men, and believe to see every man stronger, spirit, soul, and body. We've got Pastor Jimmy Rollins from I-5 City Church in Baltimore coming to share. And it's less than 200 bucks, including your meals and accommodation at the Pinebrook Retreat and Conference Center in the beautiful Pocono Mountains. All the frequently asked questions are up on the website where you could register online today at libertychurch.com slash the company retreat. Hope you'll join us. And church, have a great week. How's everybody doing? So glad that you're here today. And I just want to double down on that little invitation there. Man, we would love to have you come uh, this to the east side. Put a group together and uh, get some of the men from SF to come join us. We're going to have some of our St. Pete community men come in as well. This is our first ever retreat. And we were, we've been already been dreaming about what would it look like in the coming years to do one of these in the Bay Area as well. But I would love a group of guys to come join us. I just believe it's going to be such an impactful time. And I think in the busyness of life, kind of as that video was speaking to it, it's so important that we make space uh, for friendship, make space for reflection, make space for getting stronger personally. And um, I believe it's going to be one of the most practical, equipping, and inspiring things that we can be part of. So I really, I really hope you'll join us. I'm glad you're here today. Can we just appreciate all the team that have served and put today on and uh, on and off the platform? Up there loving on our kids and the worship was so powerful this morning. I love being over here. I'm Paul, if we haven't met before. And um, Andy sends her love. We have the privilege of being the lead pastors of the church and uh, based in New York. But I love what God is doing in our church. And I love every time I come here, I'm encouraged what God is doing in San Francisco. Amen. And um, can we just give it up for Chad and Em as well? Aren't these guys amazing? I'm biased. I think they're awesome, and uh, I think you're biased too from what I can tell, and uh, I, love, I love the Spirit of God moving in this community. I think like we're just in a great season, 
And uh, thanks for the good weather. Apparently it hasn't been this way, but I'm in denial. I'm coming from the freezing, you know, I'm like north of the wall up there. Something winter is coming in New York. It's bad. And, uh, but I'm just glad to be over here where the sun is shining. Apparently the sky is singing, which is a thing, uh, according to Chad. Ah, and uh, <laughs> it does just make me a happy person just being over here. So, so are you ready for the word this morning? We are kicking off today a brand new uh, series and uh, the series is called uh, Money Makeover. And uh, <laughs> we're hoping over these next three weeks, it's just a, a kind of a mini series, really, over these next three Sundays to give you some uh, practical wisdom. How many of us know? I mean, I, I look at it as a parent, my kids going through school, they learn so much about math, but they really don't learn some of the real world things that they need to know how to do in the area of managing finance. So hopefully we can do a little bit of that in the coming weeks. One of the messages is going to be really designed around practical keys to wisdom. Um, speak a little bit to generosity, which is a key to unlocking the favor of God and the purpose of God in our finances. But today we're going to sort of start out the series. Uh, my, the title of my message is, I Knew That. And I'll explain why we got that title in just a minute. But it's really all about our thinking. How many of you know that your thinking really shapes everything that happens in life? How we think about Life, God, faith, relationships, money, it really determines uh, many of our experiences and the choices that we make and the behaviors that we step into. So the, the title of the, the message, we'll get to it in a minute, is, in, is from Matthew 25. But because it's a little abstract, I, I thought we could choose your own adventure a little bit today. And if you don't like that title, that's fine. I'm not offended. Uh, so here are some alternatives. If you prefer to choose your own adventure, you could go with why what we think about God and money matters fairly straightforward, or how to get rid of mindsets that keep us from financial freedom, or my personal favorite, Demo Day. Uh, if we're going to go with the whole makeover thing, you know all the makeover shows on television, and Demo Day is the day when they come in, and the house that just was like everybody had written off and undervalued gets gut renovated, right? Everything gets knocked out, pulled back down, or down to the studs, down to the foundations, maybe, in order to rebuild and uh, show its true potential. So it kind of speaks to what I want to get at today, because I think in any one of these home makeover type shows, you, you realize that a house is only as good as its foundation, right? And uh, a lot of times, you know, to the untrained eye, a house can look like a wreck in all the aesthetic ways, but as long as the foundation is good, you know, I have a friend who's in a, in a like, you know, real estate, and, and he often says, you know, it's got good bones when he looks at a house. In other words, you know, it mightn't be pretty, but if it's got good bones, if it's got a good foundation, then we can do the work to raise the value. On the other hand, the opposite is also true. If it looks good, but the foundations are bad, how many know that we're in trouble? I think the same thing's true with our finances. We need good foundations. And I think, you know, the, our beliefs, our theology, if you like, our mindset around finance is like a foundation to everything we experience. And what we think about money matters. It can either create, on the one hand, a firm foundation built on truth and faith and wisdom, generosity. On the other hand, you know, it can have a, we can have a shaky foundation that's built on fear or greed or a scarcity mindset or all of the above. I think in many ways, actually, our mindset towards money is more important than money itself. One of the reasons for that is I believe that our mindset around money is a future indicator of what we're going to experience, right? Our mindset around money, and not only is it a future indicator of what we're going to experience, but our mindset about money, and I know you've experienced this, spills over into everything else. 
Our mindset of money, it's not like our life is all in little separate compartments. Actually, it speaks volumes to our identity, speaks volumes to what we believe about God, what we believe about life. It impacts relationships, right? It touches everything. Billy Graham famously said, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. That's a powerful thought. You know, I think what we're going to explore today is looking into our mindsets and beliefs. How are we cultivating and shaping our financial future? If we took it away from money for a minute and talked about marriage or health, you know, we all understand that, you know, just because, you know, if you happen to be married here today, if your marriage is great right now, none of us would presume that means we can just neglect it and assume it's fine 10 years from now. If your health is great right now, hopefully we all have the wisdom to understand. I can't just trade on that and assume I can neglect my health and it's going to be fine 10 years from now because my experience today is positive. So our mindsets, driving our behaviors and our choices is important. And I think the opposite is also true. Maybe if you're married, you know, it might be a tough season right now. Maybe in your health, it's a tough season right now. But we also know, especially partner with God through the eyes of faith, We understand that although that is our season, and I'm not minimizing that, that might be your season right now, we also know that doesn't have to be the future. If we would embrace the right kind of mindset, make the right kind of choices, we could have a different experience in the future. We could experience the breakthrough power of God. Fact is, money affects our lives every day. So that's an important subject for us to speak to. And let's let's just call it out for a minute. The church at large, churches around the world for generations have not always done a great job on this subject. And that's saying it very kindly, right? (laughs) There's been a a subject that sometimes the church has been embarrassed to talk about or completely avoided as if it didn't impact people's lives every day, which it does. On the other hand, sometimes the church has been all about it (laughs) in a way that was abusive or manipulative. And so, of course, then again, people have baggage around the church talking about money. I was reading uh, John MacArthur, and he wrote this. This is a good way of reframing why it's important for us once in a while. We don't preach about money all the time. Goodness, it's probably every year or two. I guess we do a few messages on finance. But John MacArthur said 16 of the 38 parables of Jesus deal with money. Did that seem disproportionately high to anybody else? 16 out of 38 parables that Jesus taught were on the subject of finance. That's a lot. One out of 10 verses in the New Testament deals with that subject. Scripture offers about 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 on faith, and over 2,000 on money. The believer's attitude towards money and possessions is determinative. In other words, this is not some little sideline. This is not some footnote. It's not in the appendix somewhere. The Bible speaks to it. I'm so glad that it does. That's why I can smile as I preach on this today. Because I know, you know, I think often we have a wrong mindset towards finance. We imagine it's what God wants from us when it's actually what God wants for us, that he's trying to get to us in the area of breakthrough in our thinking on finance. So we're going to go to the Bible today. Does that sound like a good idea to know what God says and thinks and feels toward you in the area of finance? I pray, you know, if, you're up to, if you feel uptight talking about this today, I pray that you feel at ease, at peace. I want to walk you through what I believe. There's going to be lots of scripture in the message today. And I want you to come to your own conclusions. Lean in to God, as we would say. Listen to him. Have him, you know, give God permission. Like, search my heart. Teach me. Lead me. And um, I think you'll be amazed at God's heart toward you. Matthew 25. I'm going to read a a parable here from verse 14 to 28. If you don't have your, your Bible, it'll be up on the screen. It says this, and Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of heaven in the run-up to this, teaching these, these parables, these stories that, that teach a, a principle or a truth. And 
And then he teaches this parable here where he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. His wealth. We'll come back to that. It's important. He entrusted his wealth to them. Remember, this is a picture of the kingdom and therefore God and us. It says, to one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. And the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave, gained five bags more. I like that phrase, by the way, put his money to work. I think even that is a mindset. It's like, you know, believing to put our money to work. No, it's not so much that we work for money, but money works for us. That's a kingdom principle, right? He put his money to work and gave five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So this guy makes a different choice. So we're about to learn why, because it's all about his mindset that drove the way that he acted. It says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You see the heart of God in this, right? Portrayed through the heart of the master. And then it says, the man with two bags of gold came. Master, you have entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. And the master replied, well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I want to point out why this is important a little later, but notice that the master says verbatim the same thing to the two different guys entrusted with different amounts who were faithful with what they had. They get the same praise and the same reward. And then it says, the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. That's where we get the title of this message from. I knew that. Master, I knew. In other words, it was all mindset driven. I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, isn't that a great way to make your financial decisions from fear? So he's got this mindset about the master, gets into fear, I was afraid, so I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. The least you could do is bring me a little interest, right? He's been gone a long time and it's been buried in the ground. And this is what he says. Now, this is not politically correct. Verse 28. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. That's the master's view, right? of what faithfulness was in these men, what we see is the difference is mindset. What we see is mindset. It says, the, the, you know, the third servant had certain beliefs about the master. I knew that. I, I, this, what I knew, what I believed about you drove me to live in fear, react a certain way, bury it in the ground. And meanwhile, because of that, he mishandles the master's money. Actually, at the end of it, he's called wicked and lazy, which is interesting because it's not like he gambled it away or even lost it. In fact, he maintained it. And some of us would imagine, isn't that good enough if I just hang on to what God gave me? And yet, it, it seems to me that the principle here is God expects us to multiply what he entrusts to us. And if we won't, he'll give it to someone who will. And meanwhile, the other two servants have a very different mindset about the master. 
And each of them had a different experience as a result. They were found faithful and they got to enter into their master's happiness. You know, I, I love, it's like you can hear the heart of God in the master here in the parable as Jesus trying to paint a picture of the kingdom. It's like, I want to bless you. Your heavenly father wants to enter into the happiness, you know, because you've been faithful in a few things. I want to make you ruler over many things. That's God's desire is, is to give influence and to give impact. And can you imagine the first two guys? I, I don't know, I, like in my mind's eye, I put myself in the story. I think they're probably still standing there when the third guy steps up. And they've just had this praise and well done, good and faithful. And they've like handed over the gold. Now they're like rulers over many things and the master's pleased with them. And then they hear the third guy. I knew you were a tough boss. Or, you know, the paraphrase is like, like wait, who are we talking about now? This guy, oh, you, you, so, you know, reap what you haven't sown. And they're like, are you talking about the guy that just made us ruler over many? We're in his happiness. Like, and I imagine in that moment, it would have been confusing for them. Because their, their perspective of the master's heart changed everything. You know, for each of them, stewardship was possible, whether they got five, two, or one. For each of them, blessing and reward was possible, regardless of their starting point. And to me, that, that points to a couple of, couple of principles that are true here. One of the things that the, the parable brings to light, for me, it's more subtle, is that everything belongs to God. I like that this is a picture of the kingdom because in the beginning, they're entrusted with the master's wealth. And I kind of, for me, it's a guiding principle in life that I start from the view that everything I have ultimately belongs to God. That I am a, a manager of what he has lent to me. I'm a steward under his leadership. Everything ultimately belongs to God. It's, the second thing I take from it is that God cares about how we manage what he entrusts to us. It was important to him. He wants to reward and to bless us. And that thirdly, God wants to bless us with increase. That's his heart toward us. Come share in your master's happiness. So I believe our mindset towards money is, is so important. Actually, I want to sort of spend the balance of my time digging into a few myths I find that we so easily believe about money. And for sure, at least one of them is going to be something that some version of that you've maybe struggled with at some time. But our, our mindset towards money is so important. In fact, there's a, a quite a well-known monetary theory that holds um, that if you were to take all the, the money in the world and distribute it equally, you've probably heard this theory of monetary policy, that it would return to its unequal distribution in as little as three to five years. Now, along the spectrum would be whether people think that's a terrible thing or a good thing that money would be all divided up. I mean, it's only a theory because I don't know how you'd ever get that done. But it is interesting that regardless of the ideology, as people comment on that theory, whether they think it would be good or bad to distribute the money equally, what everybody agrees on is that ultimately education, ideas, and mindsets would drive it returning to its unequal distribution in the end. That's, which is no wonder then that agencies exist today for counseling and help support lines, suicide hotlines for people who have won the lottery. Did you know that? That there's a whole counseling system out there that exists for people who win a lot of money because actually, sadly, the money alone is, is oftentimes destructive when we haven't had the journey of the mindsets or, you know, how to, how to steward it properly. And actually, in the end, that sudden blessing can be hugely destructive. Mindsets matter. So if you're taking notes this morning, I, I wanna, I'm going to share a couple of myths. And hopefully at least one of them will speak to something that sharpen our thinking around how God sees our faith and finance intersecting. Number one, the first myth is what I do with my money doesn't matter to God. 
Now, whether you would word it this way or not, many people, maybe you can relate to this, kind of imagine that, that, that God doesn't particularly care about our money. What God cares about is my soul. What God cares about is my prayer or my church attendance or whatever. That, that, that what I do with my money, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to God. It's like some divide between the secular and the sacred. Well, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19 puts it this way. It says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. I love that phrase, rich in this world, because it kind of reminds me that this world is not everything. Rich in this world. I think it's possible to be rich in this world and poor in the next. It's possible to be poor in this world, in one sense, and rich in the next. I mean, I want to be rich in the right ways. But if we're rich in this world, it says don't trust in their money. That's so important. Where's our trust? Because it's so unreliable. It says their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. There's God's heart for you again. Yeah, for your enjoyment. (laughs) But it says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in what? In good works. And generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. True life. In other words, there's a counterfeit kind of life, but there's a true life that comes from a revelation, living generously with everything that I have. So in other words, you know, although our money is temporary, the impact of our money can be eternal. That's something good to keep in perspective, isn't it? As we make our choices, as we steward our finances, I want I want my finance to have an eternal impact for good. Anyone else believe that? Amen? I want to have that kind of an impact. Rick Warren, who pastors Saddleback Church in California, he said, most people fail to realize that money is both a test and a trust from God. It's both a test and a trust from God. So God trusts us with finance, but he's also, it's a test in the sense that God is looking for the choices that we will make which are going to indicate all kinds of things about what we believe of our responsibility, what we believe about him. Here's an example from Luke 16, reading from the the New Passion Translation. It says, The one who manages the little he has been given with faithfulness and integrity will be promoted and trusted with greater responsibilities. But those who cheat with the little they've been given will not be considered trustworthy to receive more. In this way, it sort of speaks back to what Rick Warren was speaking about, about money being a test in a sense. If you have not handled the riches of this world with integrity, why should you be entrusted with the eternal treasures of the spiritual world? If you've not been proven faithful with what belongs to another, why should you be given wealth of your own? You know, when we speak about finance, there might be a part of you that would say, and I would kind of think this too, well, it's like, well, money's not the goal in life. And, and if that's what you're thinking, amen. <laughs> money is not the goal. But I think the Bible is showing us here that although money is not the goal, as in it's not the ultimate, it's not the goal, but it is the test. And it's interesting to me that God allows money, although it's of lesser value, and the scripture is saying that it's of lesser value to test us, prove us worthy people of integrity in order to be entrusted with more valuable things. Sense to reason, right? It's the father heart of God coming through. You know, one of the other translations, I think it's the NIV says, if you've not been uh, found trustworthy in worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? So in other words, there are things that are eternal and souls and responsibility, authority and influence. And God wants to be able to bless you with more of those things, but he gives you something of lesser value, finance, as almost like an opportunity to prove ourselves. Amen? 
That's God's heart toward us. So it, it matters to God. It also matters because there's a connection between your money and your heart. How many know that to be true? Now, what God wants more than anything is your heart. But I don't know if it's just me up here, but goodness, I have experienced over the years how sometimes money has gotten into my heart or has gotten between me and God in our relationship. But we sometimes imagine our life is like in all these little compartments. And, you know, God just cares about this and he doesn't care about that. And yet the Bible says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want to think about having a right mindset, a biblical foundation for my relationship with my treasure, so to speak, with my finance, because there's a connection between my finance and my heart. You know, if the, if the myth is, is that what I do with my money doesn't matter to God, then I guess that the truth would be what I do with my money reveals what I value. And it does have an impact potentially in eternity. Joe Biden, who's making a few headlines at the moment, said, don't tell me what you value. Show me your budget and I'll tell you what you value. <laughs> it's a pretty good way of putting it, isn't it? Don't tell me. In other words, words are cheap, right? When it comes to finance, words are, we can say, I value this and this is important to me. But really the thing here is like, well, let's, we can see your values in the way that you choose to live. That's the first myth. Second myth is that money is evil and God doesn't want me to have any. Again, maybe you'd never articulate it exactly this way, but if you've been around church or religion, it's easy to pick up this idea that money is somehow inherently evil. In fact, maybe in the back of your mind, you think, doesn't the Bible say something like money is the root of all evil? Well, no, not exactly. It says something similar, but the distinction is really important. And this is where a lot of misunderstanding has come in. It's why it's good to teach these principles once in a while. I'll show you in the scripture where the Bible says something like that and what it actually says. First Timothy chapter 6, Verse 6 to 10 in the New King James says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, that's a good word right there. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these things we shall be content. Man, I want to practice contentment. Anybody else? You know, in New York, like the state motto is literally ever upward. It's like this almost an unconscious, constant striving and more. More is always better. Bigger is always better. And yet the Bible's teaching something quite countercultural here. It's like, man, godliness with contentment is great gain. It says those who desire, that's a key word, those who desire to be rich. This is all about desires, mindset, attitudes of the heart and mind. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. What a good word, perdition. I don't even know what that means. We should bring it back. And then here it is, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. So this is a distinction. It's not money itself. It's our, what? It's our relationship with money. It's about desires and mindsets. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves with, through with many sorrows. So the truth is money in and of itself is actually not evil. It's the love of money that is. M money in that sense is amoral. It's neither good nor bad in and of itself. But boy, is it all about our relationship with and our attitude toward money? So in, in other words, to put it a different way, do you have money or does money have you? There's all the world of difference, right? Who's wearing the pants 
in your relationship with money, right? I heard somebody say one time, an idol is anything I need to check with before saying yes to God. That's a pretty good way of putting it, isn't it? So sometimes I think if God was to say, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to bless this person. I want you to, whatever the thing is. You know, we know money's become an idol in our life if we can't say yes to God without, you know, getting the yes from our money. Does that make sense? Like I want my, I want God to be God. Thomas Watson had a great perspective on this. He said, water is useful to the ship and it helps it sail to the better haven. But let water into the ship, and if it's not pumped out, it drowns the ship. So riches are useful and convenient for our passage. We sail more comfortably with them through the troubles of this world. But if the water gets into the ship, if the love of riches gets into the heart, then we are drowned by them. Isn't that a good perspective of how all at once money can be a tool, a means to an end. It can be a way of doing great good in the world. And yet, like water getting into the ship, it's a peril. Something we have to manage because if it gets into our heart, we can be struck by it. A couple of scriptures, you can just jot them down. I'll read them really quickly. Hebrews 13 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Ecclesiastes 5, Solomon wrote it this way. He said, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. It's a good thought. Luke 12, Jesus said, he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So we've got to be careful that the love of money doesn't get into our heart. And one of the reasons that it does is there's really a spirit that can attach itself to our money. I want to show it to you in the Bible. The Bible uses a word for really a, a spiritual component to finance. And it uses the word mammon, an Aramaic word. It's literally the word means money. But the way the Bible uses it shows us that, 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 that there's a spirit that can attach itself to finance that perverts its relationship with us. Jesus uses the phrase in Luke 16. He says, no, uh, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will love one, hate one, sorry, and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the others. You cannot serve both God and mammon. So, you know, the Bible mentions this word mammon on a, on a few different occasions. It's pervasive, it's sort of subtle, can be difficult to detect. And we've got to be vigilant about our relationship with money because it perverts our relationship to finance and gets in the way of our relationship with God. And what it's really getting at when that spirit gets to work in our finances, it's trying to draw our trust away from God and towards our finance. In a sense, I guess you could say it's kind of got cousins, you know, pride, greed, even, you know, different spirits. Like the, the, what they sometimes call the spirit of poverty, which can make us ashamed of any blessing that God would bring our way. Or the spirit of pride, which would cause us to not acknowledge God as the source of our blessings and focus on ourselves. Or the spirit of greed, which causes us to hold on to everything and seek even more. Interestingly, it's, you can't tell what spirit a person operates in by what they have. Isn't it easy to be judgmental about other people? And imagine if somebody has a lot, they must be greedy. But you can have a lot and not operate in greed. On the other hand, you can have very little and yet be racked with greed. It's something that really we have to face in ourselves and be honest about before God. The spirit of man is trying to steal our trust in God. And trust is everything, isn't it? To following Jesus. Proverbs 3, 
speaks about trust. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do and he will show you the, which path to take. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything that you produce and he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will brim over, will overflow with new wine. You know, the New King James Version of that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Isn't that so easy to do in the area of finance is we lean on our own understanding. But I, I want to be the, the person who doesn't lean on my finance or lean on my own understanding, but leans on God. Leaning's everything. Um, a couple of weeks back, I went snowboarding for the first time in over a decade. That was fun. And uh, I actually had a blast. It was great. But, but it, what came back to me is how important is the way that I lean. It's all about leaning, right? Because your instinct, if you've ever tried snowboarding, the first time that you do it, everything about the mountain makes you want to lean back. But ironically, if you lean on your back foot, you're more likely to fall. You actually got to lean into the mountain. I think it's counterintuitive in the same way that sometimes leaning in towards God, you know, leaning on him, trusting in him, counter to what my instincts might have told me, that is the safest place that I can be. I want to trust God before money. Mammon doesn't want me to acknowledge God, but money is not inherently evil. It's all about my trust in him. And trust is the essence of following Jesus. Number three, third myth is I need to take care of myself in life. Don't a lot of us feel this way or got trained this way. Take care of myself in life. But Philippians 4 says, my God will supply all your needs. Come on according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So his standard is his riches, his glory in Jesus. That's how God wants to meet your needs. That's a high bar. It's beautiful. That's the opposite mindset. God's like, I'm your supplier. Second Corinthians 9 says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. The truth is God is our good heavenly father. And he richly provides for us. And over the years, I've had to rewire my thinking. I didn't, you know, it was, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home. Well, a very nominally Christian home. My parents didn't have a relationship with Jesus till, you know, I was in my mid-20s. And so I had a lot of kind of undoing, a lot of reworking to do in my thinking. And over the years as a family, we've used financial planners that are really good at what they do, but they don't follow Jesus or share my faith. And it doesn't mean that they give bad advice, but I have to filter everything that I'm listening to through, is this the eye of faith? They see the world fundamentally differently. And, uh, and I've seen God, as I honor him and put him first, do things that confound the spreadsheets and don't make sense to earthly wisdom. But God's ways are not always the ways of this world, amen? That's an understatement. Other times, I've made decisions out of fear. Uh, I've made decisions without prayer. I've made faithless decisions, and I've regretted it. And, uh, you know... Honestly, I find I'm drawn to shortcuts. Anybody else? I, I just, the appeal of the whatever so-called get rich quick kind of scheme, like the thing where it's like, you just put your money in and it's some crazy interest. And, and I know in my heart, this is probably really risky, but there's something about my human nature that can try and take matters into my own hands, which isn't to say we don't have to be responsible. We'll get to that. But I want to apply patience and biblical wisdom. I want to walk in faith and not fear. And trust God beyond anybody else. Because the truth is, even when the increase comes, many times over the years I would get a pay rise and a year later I was no better off. Because all I discovered was my spending went up. Did anybody else do that as well? And you realize it's not just about having more. It's about a new mindset. 
Proverbs 10 verse 22 says, the, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Adds no sorrow with it. God's desire is to bless you. But man, oftentimes the way of the world is even, even riches, even blessing has such sorrow with them. I want to trust in God. Let me give you one more as I wrap this up. Myth number four is God will provide for me so I don't have to be concerned about my financial choices. <laughs> Now, it sounds silly when you say it that way. Maybe I could summarize the four myths this way. The first myth is really money doesn't matter. The second myth is money is evil. The third myth is kind of money's just up to me. And the fourth myth is money's just up to God. And the truth is, like everything in life, God has engaged us in a partnership. Now, we're the junior partner. I'll grant you that. But God expects us to make good choices and to trust him and to engage with him. It's not, it's not all us, and it's frankly, it's not all God either. Proverbs 13, 22 says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So how are we going to leave an inheritance for the generations, our children's children, if we don't understand that part of our responsibility here is to be good stewards and managers under God? Yes, God richly provides and he expects us to steward well that which he provides to us so that he can entrust us with more. I mean, remember the story where we started today, the bags of gold, wasn't it all about stewardship? It wasn't just up to the master. No, actually there was an expectation as they were entrusted with wealth that they would use it wisely. Second Thessalonians uh, chapter three, Paul writing here to the church that he planted, he says, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. So Paul's teaching here, although we're a caring, loving family environment, we also also promote a a self-responsibility. We we, we promote an an environment where people are going to take responsibility for their own actions. Thomas Edison said, opportunities missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. (laughs) Isn't that a good quote? Right? So it's a both end. We walk in our responsibilities, but we don't trust in ourselves. We don't trust in our money. We trust ultimately in God, but we do our part and trust God for the rest. Isn't that what it must have been like when the children of Israel finally got into their promised land? Have you ever thought about, I mean, we imagine, oh, that would have been wonderful. But, you know, it was challenging too. Think about their journey. They spent generations in slavery in Egypt. You could call that, you know, that what they needed there was deliverance. But then they end up in the wilderness for 40 years because they doubted God on the edge of their promised land. And in that season, they learn dependence, right? It's the manna, it's the quail. Every day God feeds them. They can't provide for themselves. It's dependence. But when they get to the promised land, it's not deliverance, it's not dependence. Now it's dominion. And now blessing looks like here's a field, you got to work it. <laughs> Blessing looks like there's a walled city. You got to you got to take it. <laughs> there's giants in the land. There's beasts to be slaughtered. There's work to be done. That was the blessing of them in dominion was an opportunity to roll up their sleeves and get to work. I think we just got to remember that God is the source of everything. Amen. Deuteronomy eight eighteen says, "Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to pr- produce wealth." And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. Remember the Lord, who what? Gives who? You. Who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's a partnership. It's a balancing act. 
to remember all at once that it comes from God and that he is in fact God and it belongs to him. And yet he empowers us to walk in responsibility because he's a good father. I'm a father, I'm an imperfect human father. And I have some concept of this. I can relate to this as I raise my children in the area of finance. That I think if I'm monitoring how they think about things, how they share, how they relate to their possessions, how they experience blessing, the fruit of their lips. And I think God's watching us just the same. What's our view of money? What's our view of blessing? What's our view of our relationship with him and our finance? And I know my enthusiasm for giving my kids more things can be connected to their choices, right? And don't you think, God, how much more? As he knows the attitudes of our hearts, and yet he desires to bless us, desires to give us increase, and yet desires for those things more than anything, not to spoil us or steal our hearts and our relationship with him. I believe he leads us into more. Amen. So as the worship team come join me, let me just kind of wrap it up. I want to pray over us today because I think this is such an important subject. And I sense the importance of us, you know, it, it, to those of us in the room here today is here's some, some actions you could consider coming out of this. And in a moment, we're going to pray and we're going to worship a little more. But here's some things you could consider doing the, even this week. One thought would be, why don't you decide, I'm going to read the Bible and what it says about finance. So much of our so-called revelation or our information is hand-me-down and secondhand. What if we really went to the source and said, God, teach me? Second thing we could do is consider, like maybe we should reflect on how our faith and our finances actually intersect. And God, have I separated those in a way that you haven't? Help me to see how these things really speak to each other. Or thirdly, how about we determine that we would repent? I got to repent on a regular basis for the ways in which I've been faithless or unfaithful or fallen short. God, Thank you that you're the God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances. The last thing I'd say is let's commit our ways to him, even our financial ways. Let's commit our way to him and his unfailing love and determine to see the goodness of God in our lives in every area, including our finance, that our legacy would impact the generations. Amen. I pray for us today. Why Why don't we stand before I turn it back over to the worship team to take these moments that we have just to position our hearts and our spirits again toward God and his plans and purposes. I want to just pray a prayer of faith over you. This is a journey, right? No condemnation. That's the last thing this series is about. We are all on a journey. And whether you're taking your very first steps or maybe you've been following God for years, decades, well, if your experience is anything like mine, it's like peeling back layers. And every time I just think, I've got this all worked out, there's more, amen? And that's good. There's more of him. And he must increase, I must decrease. So Father, I pray over every person here today. God, you're leading us on a beautiful journey. You're patient and you're kind. In fact, the Bible says it's the, it's the kindness, the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So Father, in your kindness, in your goodness, in your mercy as you're leading us here today, God, I pray, would we be found faithful like the servants that multiplied what they were given? God, let us be found faithful, God. God, let us steward well what you have entrusted to us that we would be found faithful and ready, worthy of more. And let money never be the thing that gets into our heart, that spoils our relationship with you. God, we set our hearts on you. We set our affection on you. You are the center. You are worthy. You are good. And God, I believe if we seek first you and your righteousness and your kingdom, all these other things can be added to us as well. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.